receive my life sentence a few final words for you hopefully this message welcomes all your comments and views citizens from the u.s to new delhi to darfur consider me your seven billionth prisoner of war there's gun sex and drugs race wars with little love white people are racist and black people are thugs too many damn asians Latinos are immigrants. While we fight in the comments, someone's taking our dollars and cents. Now we intellectually get it. We understand, but keep clicking. Like when you want to lose weight, still eating the fried chicken. And as you look your fingers, I think I forgot to mention that the war being waged is the war for your attention. The war being waged is the war for your attention. The war being waged is the war for your attention. And nobody's innocent. Everybody benefits from big corporations to me posting personal sentiments, pictures of our accomplishments, fishing for likes and compliments, where Photoshop pics replaces a lack of confidence. The online battleground leaves social media scars. Your cell phone's a prison cell. That's why the signal comes in bars. The penitentiary's digital. The prisoner is your mind. No signal, you're on parole. Great signal, you're serving time. Now we can't see in the dark, so there's lights behind the screens. It's like putting lights on needles to help drug fiends. It's addiction. We're in need of an intervention. I wrote this piece on the same device for which I'm seeking a prescription. And before you make your next click to feed your affliction, know the war being waged is the war for your attention. Now we used to wake in the morning to raise the sunshine. Now we wake to murders and wars. Facebook asking what's on your mind. Instagram filters the truth. Snapchat is just for the youth. And Twitter's for people. We ain't really got shit else to do. YouTube could make you famous. Tinder is dating shameless. Swipe left is screw conversation. Swipe right is screw someone brainless. We're just getting started. Because the content aggregators pumping out stories just to constantly agitate us. Headline generate, anger incinerate, clickbait hate, most stories infuriate. I stopped watching news because it fueled the division. We went from watching TV to reading the television. We all know the problems the news feed they've been feeding. The problem starts with an M. It's a word that rhymes with greedy. Damn right I blame the media. You with me say true. The problem with blaming the media is the media is you. 
The problem with blaming the media is the media is you. The problem with blaming the media is the media is you and me and we. We share, we like, we post, we bait, we provoke, we fight. We're not big news, but we still consume it all. Together, we take a stand. We're divided, we're gonna fall. Don't believe the hype. Take back your life. Tell kids fighting each other's wrong, fighting for your beliefs is right. Donate some of your check, wash an elderly neighbor's car. Call up your parents and say, Mama, you're a rock star. Start your dream business. Change your body type. Only give your attention to things that advance your life. And yes, wanting millions to see this is hypocritical. So since I got your attention, your next decision is pivotal. You want to change the world? Go to all of your friends and mention the solutions that he gave needed more of our attention. Moped Outlaws would like to welcome a very special guest. Sanika, the Firestarter Street, is a powerhouse. As an executive coach for men, he helps men raise the bar in their business. Their body. Oh, no. We just lost Mark. I'm going to continue. Raise the bar in their business, their body, and their being through his coaching platform, the all-in-one CEO. His personal mission to help one million plus men define what it means to live a life fully in alignment and built on integrity, empowering men to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders. As an innovative storyteller, He's worked with the world's biggest brands, including Sony PlayStation, Fox Network News, uh the U.S. Department of Defense, Universal Music Group, Reach TV, and Inc. Global. The Firestarter has also ignited and performed for brands. Oh, I messed this up. And yeah, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we look forward to <laughs> Sonica Firestarter Street. Wow. All right. Sometimes it goes this way. Hey, look, Greg, it's, it, it is an honor to be present. Um, it is great to to be here with you guys on Moped. I just love the name Moped Outlaws. I love that. I love, you had me at Moped Outlaws. And I love that that vibe and that energy for sure. So thank you for having me. And wow. and just a and just a special uh, note to Mark and wherever you are. Just you know, just <laughs> let you know that we are we're, we're looking. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, dude. Like the 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 you know, look. I, I'm always open to the idea that things go the way that they go. Um, and we just, and we roll with it, you know, so cool. I appreciate it. Mark, Mark is back. Mark is back. So I saw the guys <laughs> parked on the corner with their trucks from the cable company. And I was like, I hope to God they don't mess up this podcast. So now <laughs> I'm coming to you through my Apple iPhone uplink. Oh, all right. All right. Well, I'm glad I'm back. Um, and the private chat is gone, so I can't finish that introduction. But let me just say that Sanika is making a massive impact both in my life and in the world. 
And having him here is a pleasure and an honor. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you for that, Greg, um, Mark. And uh, Greg picked up where you left off. And, and then we just ended up here in this beautiful place of, uh, of this, this confluence of natural events, technology, and just life being life. So I'm, I'm glad to be here, man. Yeah. We, we made the technology gods angry with that video. <laughs> for sure. That was a powerful start, I just want to mm. say. And I have a quick question. If it's all right with everyone, Um, you mentioned the hypocrisy of using social media and wanting a lot of audience to witness what you're presenting. How do you balance that? Because from what I researched of you and saw a little bit of you are a man who holds integrity is very important in your life. Indeed, indeed. Um, so integrity is, is really, this is, it's really beautiful that, you know, that the idea is because I used to, I remember I had a guy who came to work with me one time and he said, I want to be a man of integrity. And then I asked him, uh, I said, okay, so you want to be a man of integrity? I said, what does integrity mean? And then he was like, um, I'm not really sure. I was like, how can you be a man of integrity if you don't know the definition of the word? People ask me all the time. I say, what book should I read? What's the book I should read? What's the best book for me? The dictionary. <laughs> Start with the dictionary. And then they, you know, say, I'm like, look, people are like, oh, you know, you know, that's, you know, just semantics. I'm like, you don't even know what semantics means. Look, semantics is the branch of linguistics that deals with meaning. Everything is about meaning. It's all about meaning. So to your, your point about integrity, so I have two operating definitions of integrity. And then I'll get to the idea of whether or not I live in integrity, right? So you can't live in the, you can't live into an idea that is undefined. And many of us live with, we adopt language, we adopt behaviors just by existence, which is the natural state of things. But then when we get into the thick of it, we operate, we end up operating on adopted behaviors and language that we don't have definition around and try to figure out why we're bumping our heads against the walls. So so integrity meaning, so meaning honoring your word, right? And this is the full definition that I give to everybody that I work with clients and beyond honoring your word, which includes keeping your word. And in the event that you do not do what you said that you were going to do, that you're honorable enough and accountable enough to acknowledge what you said, apologize if you caused any harm, and then create a new agreement. All right. So that's the first definition of integrity. Right. And the idea of integrity is that integrity is not a pursuit in altruism. Integrity is a pursuit in, in accountability and workability, creating an environment that works. Right. So I'm not living up to the altruistic aspect of being perfect in every aspect of my life. What I am doing is I am creating an environment where in relationship, Mark and Greg, where where I can be accountable to you and you can find and you can you can uh, we can create a relationship based on trust so that we can create a relationship that works from the from the workability standpoint. The workability component is if, if, if something is not an integrity, it doesn't work. Right. Like if the, if I, if I have a table that doesn't have legs, it's not a table, right? It's not a table that doesn't work. It's something, it's just not a table. So it needs to be able to work. And so relationships don't work without accountability or trust. 
And so in the context of the piece, the idea that juxtaposition, like, okay, well, I want the piece to reach a lot of people. And at the same time, I want the, I want to be in the space where, you know, that it also, you know, brings its own level of hypocrisy. Well, my intention is to, is to reach people with a message, right? So that means that I need to be, so if I'm going to be on a platform, then I have to be subject to the idea that on a platform that not only can, could it, could it go, it can go nowhere, it can go everywhere. And if it goes everywhere, it could either be liked or it can be hated. And so that's the idea of integrity, right? So I have to, so if I'm putting myself in that environment, I'm putting myself into the environment where, look, I know if I put something out, the people are either going to love it, they're going to hate it, or they're never going to see it. And I'm open to all of those being possible, right? So that's the idea of me living in integrity with issuing a piece like that. You know, it occurs to me also, one of the things I love about Course in Miracles is that the ultimate goal of a teacher is to no longer be necessary, And I think that at the heart of that piece that opened this episode is ultimately you're hoping that one day that piece is no longer necessary because the things it's portraying are healed. Mm. You know, that is the, the ultimate vision. You know, that is a vision of a world is to be to create a world where where people get to live into the greatest possibility of who they could be. And I will also say this is that um, is that we live in a is that we learn from contrast is that we learn from contrast yeah. and so that and so the idea is is that um, is that even to our, our greatest efforts is that uh, we will gravitate towards um, to extremes right just by by nature of the fact that we are human and so my intention is to pull pull four people. There are people who will literally go in the opposite direction just because of whatever, whatever I said, whatever I said on that video. Right. They were like, I don't give a shit about any of your social media stuff. I'm just going to keep like, I'm not talking to those people. There's people who are on the middle who are looking to create something of value in their lives. There's people who are literally at the point where they're like, I, I know that there's another possibility for me. I know there's another gateway to possibility for me. Hmm. And so for those people who are, who are right now, who are right on the edge and they're like, yo, like I know that I'm not all in, in every aspect of my life. I need to really step this thing up, whether it's their, their business, whether it's their relationship, whether it's their, their, their stepping into their purpose, whatever it is. I know that there's something more for me. I know that I know that I am being called to greater and I have previously not been answering the phone. I personally believe that everybody gets a call from God to live into their greatest potential. God being the divine essence of the universe, but everybody doesn't answer the phone. What would you say, like right now, if I'm at a point in my life where I hear the call and it's like I'm in a fog, it's muddy. And what I'm wondering, have you found tools for yourself from your own experiences of when you were personally challenged in your interior and not grasping how to answer that call? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's a really great question. Have I ever found moments in my life where I have found that sort of inquiry within myself about how to answer the call? And the answer to it is my whole damn life. (laughs) My whole look, dude, I'm sticking to myself. I don't even know how I got here. I was like, I'm like knocking on this. I'm like, where am I at? How, How did I end up here? Dude, like, like, Seven years ago, I was in what I like to call a rock bottom sandwich. 
I was financially broke. I'm 30, I'm 43, I'll be 43 at the end of this month. Um, but I, you know, I was financially broke, emotionally broken, two DUIs, girlfriend paying the bills. I call it a rock bottom sandwich because I was already at rock bottom and then rock bottom smashed on top of me. It was like a sandwich, like an Oreo cookie. And I was the feeling like I'm driving a 92 BMW 325i and I am, I, I was grateful that my sister helped me get the car, but I, I would drive it to a location and park it so far away that I might as well have just like walked, <laughs> you know, I was so ashamed of the vehicle. So I, that's the paradigm that I was living in and that's the life that I was living in. And so that inquiry within myself was like, man, I, I, I've got to figure something out. Like I've got to figure something out. I know that there's something out. And I think that the biggest, the one of the biggest wake up calls for me, and this was my gateway to really stepping into a form of personal responsibility, what I like to call radical responsibility. And is that I remember I had a, I was in a relationship at the time and that girlfriend who was paying the bills. And I used to get angry at her. I used to get mad because we would say that we would work out. And then I would say she wouldn't follow through. Right. So she wouldn't want, we're going to work out together. And we didn't work out together. And then I started to realize, I was like, is it that she is not working out? Is it, why is working out contingent on us working out together? Why is my working out contingent on us working out together? Number one, number two, why am I not showing up in terms of inspiring her or challenging her in whatever capacity is necessary to step up into the agreement that we had previously set? That's number two. Number three is I was like, Oh shit. When I started to, because, because every person needs a mirror, every person needs a mirror. And right at the time when I was drowning is when I joined the group that Mark and I are a part of, which is called metal, which is almost seven years ago. But right around that time when I joined metal, that's when I got the first mirrors. So the fog happens when you are in a place of self when incubating your own ideas. Right. So basically, it's this perpetual state of confirmation bias where you're just believing your own beliefs about your own beliefs and beliefs. And, you, and you're just believing your own beliefs. It's super easy to drown when you're, when you're by yourself. And one of the reasons that people end up being in, an, in, in isolation is because they haven't cultivated the feeling of safety to be in an environment where you're open to being um, where you're open to being in inquiry with other people or you're open to being challenged by other people um, in a loving way where you're open to being accountable to other people. And so I was not in those environments. The only person I was accountable to was my partner at the time, really, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that perpetual step, perpetual loop just created a state where I was just like, you know what? Like I didn't get it. And then I got into an, an environment where I was up front with other people who were living a better quality of life. And I was like, whoa, maybe I'm not living the best quality of my own life. Maybe that's what's happening. And then that, that helped me to break apart the fog. Does that answer your question? It does. Um, are you familiar with David Goggins? Yeah. One of the things I like about what he says, what you were just sharing about working out, is, you know, he talks about if you use music or whatever you use, he's like, what are you going to do when the music's not there? And I really like that level of accountability. And I guess, well, not I guess, what I'm feeling is that the challenge and hearing you is ultimately I need to be my 
best mirror because what am I going to do when all the elements outside of me change, go away, pass away, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Well, except that that can be a tricky way to avoid being in an actual container where you're actually held accountable. So if you want to take that stance after you've been through the fire, that's one thing. But if you take that attitude to prevent you from getting in hot and getting in a little in the fire, that just becomes another one of those circular belief systems that reinforces where you're at. Well, what part of what I heard Sonika say with at the beginning of your answer was every day, every FNF day, the fire is on. It's like we live in an oven every day. Yeah. If our eyes are open, you know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, Mark, that to that point, I th- here's one thing I want to just, you know, to throw out when it comes to accountability. Um, and this is one of the things that I've learned as it relates to doing this with the work that I do with men is, um, you know, accountability without love is trauma. Mm. That's beautiful. And I have, and everything that I do comes from, you know, everything I do comes from love. Right. And it's very, it's very similar to, to like going to grandma's house, you know, when you go to grandma's house and that's because people talk about leadership. And I was, I was having a conversation with a team, like one of my clients company's team, their leadership team. And we were talking about um, leadership and he was like, well, you know, I don't really feel like leadership. He's like, I, I don't really feel comfortable stepping into leadership. And one of the reasons that people don't feel comfortable stepping into a leadership is because there's an identity shift is that all of a sudden you went from being one of one among the, the group to quote unquote, being on top of a hierarchy. That's what he was saying. Hierarchy, right? So now I'm at the top of the hierarchy instead of here. And I said, can I offer you a suggestion? He said, yeah. I said, how about instead of it being a hierarchy, how about it? You just flatten it like this. And then let me give you another, another awareness. Is the leader in the front or is it in the, is the leader in the back? He said in the front. I said, are you sure? Hmm. You don't know where the leader is. The people do. But the leader is, here's what the leader's job is. The leader's job is to understand the unique individual needs of the people among the group. So sometimes you're going to need to be in the front. Sometimes you need to be in the back. Sometimes you need to be in the middle. They'll know where you're at because you're attending to the needs of the group. And you're calling people forward. And the way that I explain that, as I said, is very similar to being in grandma's house. Grandma's like the leader in the in in one of the leaders in the family. You know, the matriarch, the wise one. Right? Grandpa at the same rate. But so you go to grandma's house. You know, look, if you go to grandma's house and grandma offers you some food, right? Even if you just came from the buffet, will you eat the food? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Right. It's got gluten in it. <laughs> right. You know, it's probably got all types of stuff that was only made in 1967. It's got lard and shit. It's like, how do you have lard? Where is the lard coming from? You know, it's like, but yeah, I have some of the pickled pig fat feet stuff, you know, whatever it is that you just made in a bowling pot or whatever. So, you know, but the idea is that, but the thing about grandma is that grandma also knows where you like to sit. She knows where you like to hang your coat. She knows when you're, when you're stepping up in your greatness, when you're not living up to the expectations of the person that you could be, right? 
And so that's the idea. It's like, you know, you know, your, your grandma, you know, grandma in, in her, you know, in the altruistic sense is that that person loves you. That person knows what you need. And that person will call you forward into a greater possibility within yourself. You know? Yeah. This is going to attack this for a long time. But Mark, I know you got something particular. You also want to make sure we hit upon. Well, I just want to say that one of the reasons I was so intent on having Sanika here is because I just recently went through the initiation, the online version, and I'm committing to doing the in-person one in March. And Sanika has continually showed up in many ways in my life, both in metal and then also in this way of, you know, help me go from being a coach to being the CEO of a coaching business. And I got immediate results from that. I've had a great month and I'm serving people in a powerful way. But one of the things that I took on as part of being all in on my life and what I'm called into is that I learned a bunch of guitar solos this week before rehearsal that I needed to learn for this band that I've been playing with. And last night I pulled them out and rocked them. And we had a great time. I had a really good time. And there's this piece about Sanyika that is displayed brilliantly in his spoken word poetry in the intro. And it's this combination of musical art as service to a higher purpose. And when I heard that he was getting ready to dip back into that, I was like, yeah, I want him on the podcast because I want to talk about what you're doing creatively. I mean, obviously the all in method is very creative. Let's not forget that, but I'd love to know about a little bit about your musical career. And um, I think you're about to, drop into releasing another new project. Am I right? For sure. There's definitely going to be a, another project, but I'll get into the, the career part that you pulled on reverb nation. <laughs> I was like, what? Where did you find that? I remember creating my reverb nation page. And, and like, I was like, I was, and I remember where I was living at the time. Google never forgets. Google never <laughs> forgets, man. That was like, damn. I tell people all the time, I tell people, you know, my, that my, um, my 10,000 hours is with a pen and a pad, you know, um, I am a writer. I'm just a writer trapped in the body of an NFL lineman (laughs) and, um, you know, I'm six, eight and, um, and a pretty big guy. And, um, the, but the, but I started writing poetry when I was in fourth grade and I started rapping when I was 12. And one of the things that I learned in my own personal development journey, which is really powerful, was that I did not reach. I wasn't all in on pursuing the highest possibilities with my gift. And my out was that I was simply living for my mother's approval. So as long as I had her approval, then it made me feel safe. If I did not have her approval, then it made me feel that I felt unsafe but either way, I wasn't pursuing it beyond the, the audience of mom, right? Everything outside of the audience of mom felt unsafe. So um, a realization I've had recently over the past few years as it relates to just my own journey in my, in my life. But I've had some, so, the, so those were things that, you know, writing has been always, a, you know, a, a, a talent for me. When I was, when I moved to LA, when I turned around 25, well, late 25, turned 26, and then I got into, um, I was promoting nightclubs in Hollywood and I live in LA and I was promoting, promoting nightclubs and I was 
partying at the doing, doing the biggest parties in the city, like basically with some of the biggest producers and music. And so I was thinking to myself, man, I'm really hating this Hollywood nightlife scene. I'm really losing myself, right? The DUIs and all that stuff happened during that period of time. And then I was like, man, I, I think I just need to get into another possibility within myself. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to make, and I was writing parody music before that. I was like, oh, I'm going to write parody music. So my early 20s, I was doing a lot of parody songs, like trying to do like the Weird Al Yankovic kind of thing. And so I was working in radio, doing parody songs. I wrote a song called like, you know, like the, did a 50 cent remix called Up in Sam's Club. And then I did like, you know, and some other songs. It was just like, you know, this a, a bunch of other funny songs and stuff like that. It was really, really funny. I did, And then I started actually doing some spoken word poetry that was funny, too. Right. So. Like I did a piece called I Gotta Hate. And the first couple of lines is like, I, I like I hate being here. I hate looking at y'all. I hate performing for crowds. I, I hate people that ain't black when they say I'm black and I'm proud, you know? And, you know, and, and so I was just like in this exploration of what it meant to just do humorous stuff. And I was like, maybe I, what would happen if I, tr- I took it seriously, you know? So then that's when I, I was promoting nightclubs, hating my life. And I was like, what if I just make a declaration right now that I'm a songwriter and I just go out and I tell everyone I'm a songwriter. And that's exactly what I did. So I started to, from that, I started to create book studio sessions. I started to, to basically get in relationship with the guys who I knew at the clubs at the time. And then I started working with Akon's label. I started working with um, Universal Music Group. And then, you know, I wrote um, we did a song with a rapper named Too Short who's up in the Bay Area, you guys. And then um, we did a, um, a record with a boy band called 98 Degrees. No. And, um, and, then, and then, but the difference is that I wasn't, um, I was not like making a living as a songwriter. You know, there was like, it's like, look, you, you, even nobody is, is good enough to limit all, to, to restrict every aspect of greatness, right? So you'll see little spikes and peaks, but the question is, is, is it sustainable? You know, can you sustain the greatness? Mm-hmm. And so when I realized that I didn't have the, I didn't have the emotional resilience, the energetic, the energy, any of those things to sustain greatness, then that's when I started to realize that something was out of alignment. Mm-hmm. So then, um, so that, those things hit. And then that's when I sort of hit my rock bottom sandwich. And then when I got back into metal and I started doing, um, and I started doing keynote talks and, and when I started speaking, when I started speaking, then I started to realize that I wanted to get back into my art. So I started to incorporate spoken word into my keynote talks. And there's a really good friend of mine named Seku who makes a really good living as, uh, as himself. And he was uh, incorporating spoken word into talks. So that's where I started. That's where the art came back online. Okay. So I started to, so I, I wrote the very first piece I wrote was a piece called BU. And then BU ended up being one of the pieces, even to this day, seven years later, one of the most popular pieces that I performed in, in that exploration. So then I started to do it for brands. And I, stand in, I got approached by some brands. I got approached by U.S. Department of Defense. And today is Veterans Day, right? Today yes, Veterans? sir. Yeah. So then we put out a piece five, four years ago, five years ago today called Thank You for Your Service. And we put that out and that went viral on Veterans Day. And um, and so that piece went went viral. And then. Um, and then it just started to more storytelling campaigns with different brands. And so brands would approach me and to, to do kind of work. And then I said to myself, you know, I wanted to start getting into my own to stuff that really felt unique to me. And, and then that's where one of the, the projects that marked the one that you were, and I were, were uh, referencing to the, um, the N word piece came up. And then that started to be an exploration for me because uh, one of my, um, my callings on this planet is to uplift men from the same place that I came from, you know, 
um, is to be a, a beacon of light for, for, for young black men who are operate in the same space that, um, you know, that I grew up in. I grew up in, in Northwest Washington, DC. And I remember what it was like to grow up in, in a place like that. And it was not a very, um, I would say not, not, a, not an incredibly safe neighborhood that I grew up in, but it was, and it was one of the, one of the things that I realized about that exploration, about that, this, about my personal growth is that n- none of the, like I'm talking about almost none of the stuff that we are talking about, about integrity, about accountability, about a lot of those things, man, it's like, it's like foreign language, you know? It's like a foreign language in, in, in certain circles, especially where I grew up. Not like none of my mother was very advanced. She was doing, listening to Jim Ron and Tony Robbins and all that other kind of stuff. So she was our download when it came to a lot of that stuff. So she was just planting seeds, but a lot of that stuff was just, it's like foreign language. Like there was no, there was, you know, the greatest possibility of who we could be came from athletes and from musicians and artists, you know, and actors. So, um, so it's very important for me to just show people that they could, they have a, um, and DC is a, is one of the wealthiest, uh, you know, black metropolises, you know, in, in the country. So like, you know, so it's a very large representation of, of affluent black people. So you get an opportunity to see what it's like, you know, growing up in a, in a middle-class area. But this, but the challenge is, is that there's still these things that keep us trapped in the same way of being. And one of my intentions is to wake up a young black man with this piece that I'm doing called the N word and to invite them into becoming strong black men, which is the name of the project. So. Is the so, N word a single written piece or is it a combination of several pieces? Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a journey through the N word. It's one piece. It's a single written piece. Wow. So I have two questions. Are you in pre-production on that? Is it, is it moving along? Where are you at in that process? And then how did you come to create the video that opened the show? Two questions. Um, well, yeah, so the video that opened the show was, um, uh, is just part of my, our production process. So, you know, my creative director, she's really fantastic and she cut that video and she basically, you know, we take all the spoken word performances that I do on TV and other places. And then we, we turn them into, um, to content that we can put out on social. So, um, but, but the war for your attention is, is also a, a really powerful piece that, that we created right now. The N word piece is in, is in pre-production. So, um, we actually just did a studio session on it the other night. Um, but I can perform it for you, um, right now. Oh, yes. Yes. You're please. Willing. Please, yeah. please. So, um, and I just want to qualify this for anybody who listens to it is that, you know, this, this is a, this is the, the intention of this, of this piece. The, the name of the project is called Strong Black Men. This is a component of that project. And the invitation is, to have a conversation among black men in public, right? So it's a conversation. It's basically a conversation I'm having with other black men in in full view for anyone of any race to be able to witness. Right. So that's the idea behind this piece. Right. So, um, so the piece starts off. Um, uh, actually, I'll just give you a, a, a real quick glimpse. So here's the treatment for the music video. All right. So it's a barbershop. The barbershop door opens. There's a young black man who walks in listening to some music on his headphones. And while he's listening to the music in his red beats headphones, he's walking in. And then as he walks in, he sees some guys sitting in some chairs. 
right? And what he's doing is he's listening to music that's playing the N-word in the, in the headphones. And so the guy, and he's saying it out loud. And as he's walking by, the guys are saying the song because they all know the song. And they're like, yeah, that's my jam. And he's walking past the first row of guys getting their haircut. The second row of guys getting their haircut. The third row, there's an open chair to the right. And there's a guy to the left with a towel on his face getting the treatment. So when he goes in, he sits down in the chair on the right. And then, then when he sits down in the chair on the right to get his haircut, the camera pans over to the guy with the towel on his face. They undo the towel in the face. And then they realize that that person is me. And then I sit up and then I have, and then now I'm looking directly at him. And this is what I would say to him in that moment. So um, my brothers, before I get into any discussion, I'm taking a second to let you know that I love you. You are Earth's original peoples, capable of anything and your reflection, the essence of a king. So I, in this moment, I am still conflicted, self-restricted from using a single word because of the pain it's inflicted. This word is a virus bubbling up inside us, a word that we reverse, but in reverse is where it guides us. And I guess that's what surprises me. That's why I'm triggered when a brother who loves his brother is calling his brother a nigger. You called your brother a nigger? You called your brother a nigger? Would you call your mother a nigger? Nah, I didn't figure. And the fact that you won't use it with the one that gave you birth is what makes the explanation that it's harmless even worse. If it's such a loving term black people have accepted, why won't you use the term with the woman you respect? And I mean, I've been a lot of places. There may be something I'm forgetting, but I've never seen it used at a wedding. Eyes locked, holding hands with your significant other. Would you say the N-word to inspire your baby's mother? Tell your daughter you love her. Tell your grandmother and grandfather that this is the freedom of yours they fought for. It's fine, because we say it all the time. They called us niggas while picking cotton. You watch your cotton picking mine, and best believe I used to use it. I said it with ease. A second thought dog, I abused it. I had a disease. I told brothers that we should lose it. Brothers disagreed. They said it's a term of endearment. They'd be like, nigga, please. So I'm calling my brothers niggas, not calling my niggas brothers. Hold up. Why's the only time we niggas with each other? Brother to brother, are you afraid? Others will judge you if when you see me, instead of nigga, you just said I love you? And it's a complicated history from movies, music to comedy. Black entertainers said the word with love and affection. But it's become a mystery because through movies, music and comedy, other races abuse turn black wounds into an infection and we fight for the right to say it. But we're not fighting for a future that determines if it's really right to say it. And who am I to say enough? Who am I to bring it up? Who's this nigga asking those niggas to give it up? I am one of your brothers. It's the reason I'm invited. I am a man that speaks the truth, even if you don't like it. I am aware that transformation happens in stages. The first step is the awareness. There's no benefit to say it. Screw acceptance. We go from it's okay to it's outrageous because they call brothers niggas for they lock them up in cages. They call black fathers niggas so they can't make better wages. So I'm only using words that bridge a brother to his greatness. My camera was broken, but now I get the picture. There's a much bigger audience using the word nigger. So when I say brothers is brothers of all persuasions, my brothers, black and Latinos from Caucasian to Asian in every city and state, every country and continent. The N word is a problem all over the friggin' place. And words like nigger live in all genders, races, religions. A word you may feel is freedom for someone else is a prison. So what I'm trying to teach you is a lesson I was given. The words that you choose, the words you abuse, the words that you use create the world that you live in. Nigger means ignorant. 
It doesn't make us better, man. Can't put it at the end of your name to go practice medicine. It doesn't make you richer, healthier, or blacker. It does not improve the chances of making black lives matter. And if black lives matter, my niggas, here's what I'm asking. Why would I call you nigga when your righteous name is black, man? Originals, brothers, sophisticated or gutter. I am only using words that will show my brothers I love you. And the love runs so deep, I am willing to take this stand for the brothers that will sit and try to make me the villain. I'm the tattoo remover here to get it off your chest. It'll sting a little bit. Brothers, this is my request. I am asking you to rethink your words. Not calling you out. I am calling you four words. Stop using the word nigga. And what to call your brother other than the N-word is only one thing. If that man's really your brother, only thing that you should call him is a king. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Wow, you just blessed this episode immensely. Yeah. That's really powerful, your use of using the word in sentence, like as it's commonly used, and then also juxtaposing that with you saying this is a virus. It's a beautiful blend. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I do. And I, I asked my so somebody asked me this when we were in the studio session the other night. He said, you know, I was thinking about it when I wrote it. I was like, should I say the word in the piece? And I was like, that's the only way to that's the only way to get it across. You know, yeah. and I was like, I'm going to, you know, and so the only the only the only time contextually that I use it is when I perform the piece, you know. Yeah, that's perfect, because what happens like I, when you weren't saying it, it's like a boil and I just see the pressure building and building and when you finally actually say it, it's like, oh, you release it. You come back to there's a reason I don't want to use this word. So now I'm able to relax and really hear you because I'm no longer concentrating on the pressure of not saying the word. Hmm. So hmm. it's a real beautiful blend of that. Appreciate I'm, that. Great. I'm stumped because in a way, this, these words are not for me. <laughs> my white skin and so just commenting it all feels like being a little bit out of place except to say that i love you for the way that you're delivering so powerfully in your creativity and i admire the standard you're setting for courage and conviction and starting fires <laughs> <laughs> well, look I, I am like i said this is a public conversation because i'm having it with my brothers in public you know, so I'm not, that's a really important context to have. It's like, well, should this come? Well, look, I'm having it in public. People say it. You know, the the, the, the way it came up, the way the piece came up is <clears throat> I, I had posted something on Facebook in 2019. A friend of mine, a black friend of mine, posted on it. He was like, yeah, what's up, my name? You know, so he started using the word in the comment. And I read it a couple times, and I was like, man, I, I don't feel comfortable with this, you know. And... I didn't want to delete his comment. So I reached out to him. It's funny. He was more active on Instagram. So I reached out to him on Instagram and I was like, yo, could you, you know, I, I appreciate you posting the word and I didn't want to delete your comment. Cause I didn't want to censor you, you know, but I wanted you to just be aware of the fact that 
I really don't think that that word is a, is a really powerful representation of you. And I, I don't think it's a powerful representation of me. So I appreciate it if you took that comment and he deleted it. And then when he deleted it, I was like, oh, shit, I've been complicit in just the use of it. And and so that's what inspired me to write the piece. And after I wrote the piece, I was like, man, I can't do nothing with this. I can't put this nowhere. There's nowhere for this to go. I was like, because the people that it's intended for, the people who don't have the biggest issue with it, you know, at this point, it's the, it, it, that that word exists on the on the um, on the on the subconscious level. It's, it's almost inaccessible, you know. It's a, it's a it's a it's a formation. It, it, for many people, it exists as a form of habit. So the belief system has been confirmed around just the habit, the necessity of the habit of using it, but not the effectiveness of the word itself, not the purposing of the word itself, just the effectiveness of holding on to habits. So as a result of holding on to habits, like it literally, like, you know, like I said before, like it, um, it, it, it doesn't make you richer, healthier or blacker. And the idea is that if, if I'm using something, if I'm, if I, if I am operating in literally just holding on to my habits and my identity, what else am I holding on to that doesn't serve me? That is put, that is not helping me to, to reach, to go all in in my life. You know, what else am I holding on to that is not allowing me access to the greatest possibility of who it is I could become? I'm going to tell you something. One thing was really important to me is that when, as it pertains to this, is that with there being so much generational trauma associated with black people, why would I call you anything other than something that calls you into your greatness? Why would I ever do that? And that word essentially means nothing. It doesn't just mean nothing. It means nothing. So if I'm saying that word to you, I'm basically calling you nothing. And I'm like, I would much rather call you an entrepreneur. I'd much rather call you an entrepreneur than say that. Does it take me more more time to conceive of the idea or like to, to, to shift my habit formation around the idea of calling you something other than that? Yeah. But man, it's fucking worth it. I, I could make that sacrifice. I could make that much of a sacrifice to call you into a greater possibility of who you could become other than just settling with the fact of the idea that I'm just going to settle for my own habits and what feels comfortable for me. So I just wanted to speak to that because that's a really important component in this is the nothingness associated with it. And I would much rather call you something that calls you into a higher frequency, a possibility of who you could be, and then allow that to resonate and sit with you rather than just settling for my own habits. Yeah, this whole idea of habits that we fall into is really about unconsciousness. It's about letting the past run the present. Mm-hmm. Instead of activating ourselves as powerfully as we can to be causes for a better future. For sure. And this is the, we're all called in to this. This is what's necessary. Like they're meeting right now in, in Egypt to try and change the climate. They're like, we're all trying to make things happen at a higher level. And the first step is to start to see that mirror and recognize where you're fogged up around your own habits and then step out of your comfort zone and step into a new possibility. Yeah, I am I would, fired up. Yeah, but I would say part of my consciousness of myself is there is a part of me that wants to tear down and negate. And 
part of my energy is to feel that. And the word I use is alchemize it to something that is positive and life affirming. But I, I think like part of what's what we witness is a very human element to negate, tear down, destroy. That's the easy part. Yeah. You know, the, you said you're fired up, Mark, right? Yeah. In what capacity? My personal belly is screaming at me every morning to get going on becoming, again, the better self that I'm capable of. And what that means is I'm hungry. Like, I'm waking up hungry. That's literally what it means. Yeah. That's new. <laughs> That's new for me. Hmm. Like, one of my habits is comforting myself with pleasure through my mouth. And it was it, like it's not bringing me pleasure anymore at that level. It's bringing me a sense of futility and a sense of shame and a sense of guilt. And that feeds my inertia. That does not feed my motion. And, you know, during the initiation, the first time, a couple of times I went out on the trail hungry, I got scared. Like, is something going to happen? Am I going to pass out? Am I going to blah, blah, blah? But what I found out was, no, I'm not. And that reinforced this idea of what resilience is. And then I realized, oh, that's how we're made. We literally are resilience personified. Every breaking moment, every waking day, it's like we're changing into something new or we're stagnating and falling back. I have a question for you both, because what that brings to mind is this element of div divinity, heaven, being a place of pure joy, pure love, which in my mind is comfort. I'm comfortable. I'm happy. There's nothing challenging my joy. And yet what I'm also hearing from you both is that I am at my best when there is a thorn in my side, when there is grit in my oyster of self. Like that's where the fire is stoked. So how does one bring, like is, I, I'm having trouble holding both these scenarios as truth. Hmm. All right. I want to speak to that. I heard something the other day, someone was talking about dopamine and I wish I could remember their name because it was brilliant. But what they said was we're so used to feeling dopamine as the goal, getting to heaven, be, right? That we have forgotten the more powerful pleasure of the work. It's not what it's going to feel like when I'm 40 pounds lighter. It's what it feels like getting out of bed and going on the trail. It's, it's what it feels like working towards something and, and getting my reward, my dopamine from the reward of being in the moment, doing the work. So the idea of this, uh, this heaven to me, that's another, that feels like a bypass, right? Like I have to wait till heaven is here till the, the great work is completed before I can feel that sense of, of, of greatness and accomplishment. And um, I'm like, I want to feel heaven in the burn. Mm. Yes, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Look, Greg, I'm going I'm to speak to this and Mark. I, I love that, that context. I want to feel heaven in the burn. 
So here, here's a really interesting experiment. What if we just removed the words, right? What if you just removed the words, your ability to use language? And I'm talking through this, but just in this, I'd like to conceive of this if whoever's joining this. But what if you just remove the words? And then would, would the actions associated with your physical body, what would happen as you witnessed yourself in motion? What would you be witnessing of yourself? What would you be seeing yourself do when you move into a kitchen? What would you be seeing yourself do when you move into your workspace? If you have a workspace at home or work or you're an entrepreneur, you work with somebody else, what would you be seeing yourself do? One of the things, one of the easiest ways to, uh, to get the dopamine hit that Mark is talking about is through language. It's through words. We use words as we develop language as kids and we use it as a coping mechanism through the course of our lives. And the language gives us the ability to live in an imaginary reality. It gives us the ability to live in a fictional twilight. It gives us the ability to verbalize that we quote unquote want something. But if you just witnessed your action, your motion, your movements on a daily basis, what would you be witnessing yourself do? And then who would you be witnessing yourself being as you witnessed yourself moving? If you were not using words, because the, because the, because the trigger mechanism for a lot of the dopamine hit, it's like, you know, it's like uh, the, the idea of like, you know, the, one of the easiest ways is like, yo, like I, I'll totally take care. I'll, I'll get that to that tomorrow. You know, tomorrow becomes the reality. T- tomorrow becomes the imagined reality of today. And it's like, and you know, damn well, you've been living in 365 times. However, say 365 times, however many years worth of tomorrows. And it's been tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And I'm going to get this thing and it's going to come together tomorrow. And I'm like, hold up. Yo, like, but your, your family needs you today. Your future needs you today. Your, the people in your universe need you today. They need you today. And I'm not saying to give off that the, the, we, we are pulled forward by the vision, but the vision is proved in process. So what would you be witnessing yourself doing? Right. People talk about potential. They're like, I have all this potential. No, you don't. No, you don't. Show me your potential. You do not have potential. Show it to me. Seriously, show me your fucking potential. I feel you. All right. right. You don't have potential. Uh, You do not have it. That's gut ripping. Infinite, Infinite possibility exists in perpetuity. Of course, there is infinite possibility. You could be a millionaire tomorrow. Yeah, you could also be a fucking serial killer. So what is your potential? I tell you, you don't have potential. Here's what you actually have. You have proof. You have a point where you are going. The vision. You have a process. You have progress. You have projections. You have those things. You do not have potential. It does not exist. And many, too many people are living in their potential. 
And so the idea is that if I'm, you got proof, where's the proof? You want to marry me? You want to put a ring on it? Show me the proof. Like the woman, woman would say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Show your kids the proof that you give a shit about them by showing up at the games. Show me the proof. Yeah. That's what, it, that's what the idea of stepping up in that is. So for me, when it comes to this type of reality, when it comes to living up to this, like that's what going all in is all about. Right? Mind, body, and spirit. Because your mind can trick yourself, but your body is showing you all the proof that you need. And you got the wrappers and receipts in the trash can to prove of your eating habits. You got the wrappers and receipts in your bank account and your bank account to prove about your financial spending habits. You have the, 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 the receipts when it comes to, to all of the different things that we consume. I'll give you one really powerful example since the last initiation because it woke up some stuff in me as well. Right? And let me just contextualize this. The initiation is a process. It is a, as the initiation means to, to initiate means to begin. And initiation is a, as a rite of passage. One of the things that men do not get the benefit of is moving through their bullshit. Is being able to be able, be witnessed in your, in your presence, in your greatness and in your bullshit. And then, the, and then to be able to bring them together in an environment where you are loved and you are challenged to see greater possibility in your motherfucking life. Like that's the intention of it. And so if that is the kind, so the idea, the idea of initiations is that many men don't go through it. They don't go through initiations. They just struggle. They just struggle. And I'm like, no, dude, you're not, you're not just struggling. You're being initiated. You're being challenged to step up. You're being challenged to trade off one chemical cocktail, the dopamine, for another one. Something you know, to invite yourself into a greater possibility of who you could be. So I was like, look, we're going to do this because right now there are many men who, was, who are at the precipice of a failed marriage or a marriage that is on autopilot. And that woman is begging her man to step up into greater leadership. There are men who are, who are literally looking in the mirror, in the fog, and not stepping up into their greatness. There are men who are literally drowning in every aspect of their life and they know that they have more in the fucking tank so that they can kick this shit into gear and they just choose to go back the opposite direction because it's easier to be who you've been than to become the man that you are seeking to become and so in that intention it's like look let's step up let's step up into an environment where you know you will be held and you know you will be held with love and fierce love but also to the greatest possibility of who you could become that's the idea it's stepping into that initiation. One of the things that came out of the virtual initiation we were doing it, Mark, for me, is this. As I said, I was I made a commitment that I wouldn't drink any do consume any more artificial sweeteners. And I was like, what am I putting artificial sweeteners in? Well, I'm putting artificial sweeteners in coffee, right? Um, not artificial sweeteners, excuse me, stevia. So I was putting stevia in coffee. And here's the thing. It doesn't really matter what artificial, artificial sweetener, if it's, a, if it's a, nat, a natural sweetener, the bottom line is it still triggers your insulin response, right? So your body still responds. It, your body will still respond like you're consuming sugar. <laughs> Just differently, but it'll still respond. So, the, uh, so I was like, well, I'm using it in coffee. And I started looking at coffee. And I was like, why am I drinking coffee? I'm, being, I'm in the inquiry, right? I'm in the inquiry. I was like, why am I drinking coffee? I'm drinking coffee because I drink coffee because in my mind, my mind says if you drink coffee, it gives you energy. But sometimes I get tired. Right. So I'm like, hold up. So. So. But then I realized that coffee doesn't give you energy. Caffeine doesn't give you energy. And so I was like, caffeine does not give you energy. 
Caffeine blocks the neuroreceptors in your brain that tell you that you're tired. That's the way it works. So if caffeine doesn't give you energy and I'm drinking coffee and I'm putting sugar in my coffee, what the hell am I drinking coffee for? And then I'm like, what am I drinking any of this stuff for? Because now I'm hooked on designer beverages. And now I'm drinking designer beverages. Sugar, Sprites, and I'm not drink Sprite, but I drink Diet Coke and I drink coffee and, and I drink your know, club soda because it's bubbly or whatever. And I drink all this other kind of stuff. And I was like, what if you made the shift in your life to getting rid of all the designer beverages? Because essentially what it is is just compulsion. And one of man's greatest challenges, one of the greatest challenges for men is impulse control. When you allow yourself to step into impulse control, who would I become if I literally chose for the rest of my life to only drink water? And got rid of the <laughs> Are you finding out? I made the decision almost a month ago. Wow. It's been one of the most powerful shifts I've made. Wow. One of the most powerful shifts. Hmm. So now I go places and I just ask for water. I drink water. You know, the highlight of the, you know, the highlight of this is putting ice cubes in it. It's the most powerful shit, dude. It's the most powerful stuff. And then I think to myself, like, this is who I could become. You know, I remember when I had a drinking problem. And to me, a drinking problem is it, it's very distinct. It's like, you know, a drinking problem is when you drink, you have problems. That's it. Yeah. And so I had financial problems, relationship problems, emotional problems, all types of problems when I drink. Yeah, right? DUIs are a great road sign to a drinking mm-hmm. problem. For sure. They're a great road sign. I didn't stop drinking when I got the DUIs, but I stopped drinking. But, I, but it was definitely part of the, 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 the whole thing. And then I asked myself this question. I said, what if you could become, what if you could accomplish everything you ever wanted to accomplish in your life? And the only thing you needed to do was to choose to stop drinking alcohol. Would you do it? This is a question I asked myself in the mirror the last time I got drunk. And then I said, well, yeah, of course I would do it. I was like, so I didn't do it. You couldn't do it? No, he said, did. Oh, so you did. did. Yeah. And I did it. Yeah. And I and, and what I have been doing is living into the vision of who I am seeking to become through process. Through process. So I have a vision that pulls me forward of greatness, of possibility, of energetic abundance, spiritual abundance financial abundance, economic abundance, of physical abundance, of relational abundance, of those types of ab- like abundance in those areas of life. Those are the, the seven domains associated with a man stepping into true masculine leadership. There is emotional abundance, there's spiritual abundance, there's energetic abundance, there's physical abundance, there's financial abundance, and then there's um, uh, relational abundance. But the idea is that if when I step into those areas of my life, when I step into to that, to mastery and those areas of those domains in my life. And I step up and I say, look, I'm going to take on this challenge. Then it's going to require me to become a different person. It's going to require me to shift some behaviors. It's going to require me to not say some things and to shift into saying some different things. Right. To proving my actions, different things, not for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have a spark of a question here. Do you think that your mom's attention to Jim Rome and Tony Robbins, when you were growing up, planted seeds that have grown 
and you have utilized that knowledge to be who you are today? There is absolutely no question about it. The infinite wisdom of my mother, she knew exactly what she was doing, even though she, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day, a few months, like a couple months ago, to, to your point. And, you know, what, what my mom would do sometimes is I would tell her, and I'm like, I'm doing this thing. And I'm like, you know, I learned this new, you know, realization about myself or this new personal development process or this new thing. And she'd be like, you know, saying, I told you all that stuff when I was a kid, you know, you know, you know, I told you that when you were younger or whatever like that, as, as, as some mothers would do. But here's one thing I told her. I said, Ma, I said, I said, Ma, there's a, there's a difference between, um, there's a difference between, um, planting the seed and, and, and growing the plant. They're both necessary. Like and fertilizing the soil, right? So it's the difference between planting the seed and fertilizing the soil. And what I told her is I said, you were planting the seed. And the seeds are necessary. And then somebody else came along and they said, I see some seeds in you. I see some greatness in you, but you just need some, some fertilizer. You need the right nutrition at the right point and the right time and the right place with the right directional approach from the sun. And so the thing is, is that those seeds are necessary. And so I believe that every man is intrinsically grant gifted with seeds, right? Every man gets the call. Not every man will answer the phone. And I understand that my, my intention is to increase the amount of guys that answer the phone, you know, but, but, and so for me in my life, I definitely had a bunch of missed calls, you know, had a ton of missed calls. But the, but the, but when the, when the fertilizer came on and it was like, yo, you know what? This plan is act. I believe if I give you the fertilizer that, that, that it can, you can actually grow this. And this is one of the things that happened when I got into concert with other men, Mark, when I stepped into or into metal and everything is that when I got into the organization where I was looking face to face with guys who were living in their greatness, there's a quote by Les Brown. He says, sometimes you need to believe in somebody else's belief in you until your belief is strong enough to kick in. And when I was at my lowest point, when I was at the point where I didn't believe in my abilities, where I lost faith, where I moved to L.A. and done national TV and written songs and done all this other kind of stuff. And then I fell off. There were guys who believed in me. You know, they saw a greater possibility in who I could become. And so then I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this, but they were like, I got you. Just just take the fertilizer, you know. You look like you got some really powerful seeds. Take the fertilizer and then just and then sit in the silence, sit in the listening and allow that to germinate, allow that to grow. And that and that love and that challenge and that accountability and that trust and that call forward helped me to step into um, the possibilities that my mother saw in me when she was planting seeds. Wow, this has been amazing. And I just want to say to Greg, I see them in you. And I know that you've seen them in me. I'm super grateful for this podcast and for our friendship. And I'm calling you into your greatness. I feel called into my greatness. And I'm looking forward to myself entering into more with Sanyika. And if you are interested in getting into some of this stuff with him, we're going to have all of the details listed and available in the text for these podcasts. Why don't you give him the web address now for our audio audience so they can go there now, Sanyika? MopedOutlaws.com. 
Oh, you mean for Sanyika? Yeah. yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give the website, but the first thing I'll say is this, the thing I tell everybody is like, if you're looking for websites and information as, as information porn, don't look me up. Don't go looking for me just to look for me. Right. If you feel the greater call to, to step into a greater possible, like the intention of this statement is to literally like, be like, what are you talking about? Like, don't go looking for me. No, don't, don't, I don't need you to go looking for me. Because the only people that step up into greater possibility in the lives are people who feel the call within themselves to step into who they seek to become. And so those are the people that I want to invite into the experiences, into the work that we do. So this ain't like just like, you know, another random Google search to set to satiate your information porn desire. It's like, look, if you're looking to step into a greater possibility and who you can become, there's a way for us to get in contact. So the website is the www.theallinceo.com. It's currently under construction right now. We're doing some redos over the weekend. But um, if you want to reach out to me, reach out to me on Facebook, um, San Yuka Firestarter Street, or Instagram at the All In CEO. All right. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Yeah, it's beautiful. Recording stopped.